Hi, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we're going to get started. And the question is, uh, the question is, what are you going to do with the broken pieces of your life? And we have a formulation of this in, um, in the Torah with, um, with, with the, the, the climactic um, moment in the entire uh, saga of, of Yosef and his brothers. And at this moment right now, with, with everything on the line, all of um, history, humanity, certainly Torah, Judaism, um, just the, the destiny of the world on the line, Yehuda approaches Yosef, not knowing, of course, that Yosef is his brother. And these two sides, these two forces that are coming together at this moment um, symbolize many, many things. And, and I want to address it from the most personal uh, basis right now. Um, Yehuda represents brokenness. And we'll, we'll see that imagery of brokenness in the Haftorah from Yechezkel, from Ezekiel, in, in a moment later. The brokenness between, the separation between Yehuda and Yosef. But again, I want to discuss it on a very personal level. Yehuda is the one who makes all of the mistakes. And Yosef is the one who doesn't make any of the mistakes. Yehuda is the one who, who really falls, but gets back up. And Yosef is the one who just stays straight. He just stays straight and he keeps on going. And somehow, on the highest level, he represents really the perfect tzaddik. And so... You might ask yourself, what is the what is the definition of righteousness? And Shlomo Melech King Solomon says that the definition of the righteous person is the person who falls seven times and gets back up. And you might think that the definition of a righteous person or of a tzaddik is someone who never makes a mistake. And here you see that that it's very different. The real definition. That's also a definition. But, but for the rest of us, for all of us, it's more this second category. The question isn't, are you going to make a mistake? Are you going to fall? The question is, what happens next? The question is, are you going to get back up? Are you going to rededicate yourself? And sometimes this is very, very hard. Because sometimes a person thinks, you know, who might even try to come close, want to come close? And you should know that that voice that comes in your head at that moment might manifest itself to you as the epitome of humility. This is the height of humility, that I'm, I'm absolutely nothing, I don't even deserve to rededicate myself and come close. But you should know that's the voice of the Eight Sahara. Because our job is to never stop coming close. And so sometimes a person has to muster something that 
Rebbe Nachman, bless you, refers to as holy chutzpah. Holy chutzpah means, God, you know something? I'm not, I'm not going to stop coming back. I'm going to keep knocking at your door. I'm not going to stop. I'm just not going to stop. I'm not going to stop trying. And if you ask yourself, from which lineage is Mashiach descended from? Is it from Yosef, the one who never makes a mistake? Or is it from Yehuda, the one who makes mistakes but then gets back up and rededicates himself? If you ask me, I would say it has to be from Yosef. Because if Mashiach is, is, is the one who's going to herald the, the finishing off of creation, the finishing, you know, the, the Zmanatikum, the, 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 the time where everything comes to its culmination in fullness that we're all evolving toward every moment. That in itself is a time of perfection. It says that Hashem is going to shecht, meaning slaughter, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. So it's a time of perfection. So who better to usher in the time of perfection than the one who has no mistakes? And of course, that's not the answer. The answer is, is that Mashiach descends from Yehuda, from base David. David descends from Yehuda. Mashiach is the one who gets everything wrong but then gets everything right. If you look at the lineage of Mashiach, just to make a slight digression right now, but I want to get back to this dynamic between Yehuda and Yosef. But an interesting thought. Adam Harishon, Adam, the first person, if you take the first letters of his name, I don't know who said it, but it stands for Adam David Mashiach. So in other words, Adam is a microcosm of the whole future of humanity. <clears throat> when Adam was first created, all of the souls of creation were inside of him, including woman. Because woman is taken from man initially. So within that first person is everyone who's ever going to exist. And Kabbalistically they say that all of us are a different piece of Adam's soul. So, that's, that's Adam. Adam is one person that contains everything. Now, as we go further, we eventually get to Mashiach. Now, Mashiach, interestingly, is descended both from Jews and from non-Jews. In other words, he's, he'll be 100% Jewish, born from a Jewish mother, back to, you know, Abraham and Sarah. On one side of his family. On another side of his family, though, he comes from non-Jews. And so you have, you have Mashiach as the, the embodiment of all of the souls in the world. Which is an amazing thing. Because Mashiach, remember, we can't be myopic. Mashiach is going to be representing all of humanity. And so it makes sense that his bloodline will be descended from, from absolutely everyone, different parts of humanity. Although, like I say, he will be Jewish. But what I'm, what I'm pointing to is this, is this interesting, I think, visualization where you start with Adam, and Adam is one person 
who's got all of the souls inside of him, and then you get eventually to Mashiach, which is also one person, and yet his soul is also going to be representing the entire world, and is going to have this, what they call this, Klaalistic soul, which will be a combination of, of really representing all of the souls of the world. So, so, one of the fascinating things, if you study the bloodline of, of Mashiach, is that he's, there's all sorts of weird stuff that goes on on a certain side of his family line. For instance, he's descended from Moab. Moab means from my father, because that was a relationship that happened between Lot and one of his daughters. So that's, a, that's not a permissible um, level of, of intimacy. And yet, that's one of the starter bloodlines for, for Mashiach on one side of his family. On another side of his family, Yehuda gets together with Tamar, who he thinks at that moment is a, is a prostitute. Again, another wondrous thing, and there's much commentary to try to get into the depths of it, because what's going on exactly? But on a very deep level, what this is also saying is that Mashiach is not just representing all of the different peoples of the world, but he's also representing all of the different spiritual levels of everyone in the world. In other words, from the lowest level person to the highest level person, everyone will be represented in Mashiach. Those who have made the greatest mistakes in the world, nonetheless will have a connection to Mashiach. And so this is one way of understanding just his sort of fascinating and mysterious bloodline. Okay. If you want to know more about Mashiach, um, look into the uh, halachas that the Rambam brings. We've discussed it more uh, in, in other talks. But the, the bottom line is, you'll know Mashiach because he'll be a great Torah scholar. He'll gather all the Jews together, bring them to Israel, and build the third holy temple. And that will be the decisive test whether or not the third base of Migdash, the third holy temple, comes down for him. And if not, it's not Mashiach. It's like there's a one-to-one correspondence. If there's no base of Migdash, no third base of Migdash, whoever it is may be very great, but it's not Mashiach. So again, let's return to our question. What are you going to do with the broken pieces of your life? And so... Yehuda represents that aspect of brokenness, that aspect of the person who, who wants to do right, but who just doesn't get it right. And in this great moment, he goes to confront Yosef, that side of the family, which absolutely always gets it right. So again, on a very, very personal level, just to make sure we're following, the question is, how do you react when you confront, when you come face to face with your own brokenness? How do you react when you come face to face with your own imperfection and with your own limitations? So for many people, for most people, the instinct is to run away. You see this dark side, this imperfect side, this side that is completely unresolved, and you just want to run away. You know, 
I don't know if you've had this experience, but I, I certainly have and, and having, where you get a parking ticket and you go, you know, I, yeah, I really, I can contest that, I guess, but I haven't contested it. And then a new bill comes and now there's a fine. Now it's double what it had been. And now it's sort of like, how can I even pay that doubly large ticket right now? So what's the answer? Do you pay it now and stop this? Miserable process? No, I'm more avoidance, more running. You know, it's like, what is this cycle of running away? And you see, in this moment where the entire story comes to its to a head, where Yosef finally reveals himself before his brothers, Yehuda speaks from his heart, and now you have to understand there's, there's something very strange going on in terms of Yehuda's speech to Yosef. Because as far as Yehuda knows, this person who's Yosef, who he doesn't know is Yosef, who he thinks is the viceroy, this person doesn't speak Hebrew. Because Yosef, as part of the ruse, as part of the trick, for, to make people think that he's really, you know, not Yosef, has, has pretended not to know Hebrew and has set up a translator so that every time the brothers speak, the translators translate into Hebrew or into Egyptian for Yosef. So now here comes this moment where Yosef has done the worst thing that he can possibly do in the eyes of the family. He's taken Benjamin prisoner which for sure is going to kill Yaakov, which for sure is absolutely going to gut this entire enterprise called the Jewish people. I mean, it's over at this moment unless Yehuda acts and is successful. And so, Yehuda starts talking in Hebrew, in this language, that seemingly Yosef can't understand. But you see, if you look at the Pasuk, it says something very, very deep. It says, Vayigash, and he approached, Yehuda approached him. It doesn't say that he approached Yosef. Now, from context, we know that he's talking to Yosef. But all of the deep commentaries say, no, 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 no. What does it mean Yehuda approached him? So Reb Leibla Eger, for one, says that Yehuda was talking to God. At this moment, Yehuda was pouring out his heart to God. And he was also simultaneously addressing Yosef. But he was pouring his heart out to God. And what about the fact that Yosef seemingly couldn't understand what he was saying? Well, I think all of us, from the standpoint of Yehuda representing all of our brokenness, all of our levels of imperfection, we have in our head the idea that we look around and we see our friends and, we fa- uh, and our family and we say, no one can understand me, no one understands me. But you know what? God gets me. God understands and God gets me. And so even though Yehuda is speaking at this language, in this language that seemingly can't be understood by anyone at this point, It says Yehuda approached him. Yehuda approached God. And God understands us. Each and every one of us. Even amidst our brokenness. And so if you look at the speech, it's a magnificent speech. 
And it says, I saw in the name of the Chovitz Chaim that this is one of the places where you see that words that leave the heart, in other words, if you speak from your heart, words that leave the heart enter the heart. They'll enter into another person's heart if they're actually coming from your heart. And so even though he couldn't be understood, nonetheless, Yosef got the message, seemingly. Okay, obviously, Yosef did understand the Hebrew. So you might say that the overwhelming emotion of Yehuda's speech, and if you look at it, it's this whole account, and it's, it's really, it's an amazing appeal. It really is. That the appeal itself finally broke down Yosef. <clears throat> and it's kind of a long speech, and if you don't read it carefully, then yeah, that's, that's the impression that you get. He won him over. And you know what? If you look more carefully, you see how the speech ends. And the whole thing is in the end of the speech. Because Yehuda says at the end of the speech, you know what? Take me instead. In other words, the emotionality is great. But the turning point is when Yehuda takes personal responsibility for this situation. When Yehuda stops running, when the brothers stop running, when, they take, when he takes personal responsibility for the, for the entire problem, that's when Yosef says, okay, everybody out of the room, and then Yosef reveals himself to be his brother. This is an amazing teaching, because we are called Yehudim, which is, as a people, we're named after Yehuda. Now, there are different reasons why we're named after Yehuda. One is Yehuda has the name Hoda, which means thanks. So, in other words, we're a people who are thanking God. Yehuda, Hoda, is the same word as Modeh. Modeh means to admit. So, the Sfasemis brings that we're the people who say, we admit, God, you're the one who's running the world. You know, this is a very deep level when you say, Moda'ani, in the morning. You wake up and you say, Moda'. Now, now it's translated as, I, I thank you, God. In other words, you're opening up the day with thanks to God. That, that's a high level. But on another level, Moda means to admit. Like, that's how it's used in the Gomorrah all the time. So, in other words, you say, Moda ani, God, I admit that there's only you. <laughs> in other words, in other words, th- there's there's a this this overlay, this overlay of thanks, but also of humility. You know, sometimes the act of thanking someone it also requires humility. You know, because when you thank someone, that means that I've acknowledged that you've done something for me. But to so in other words, so Yehuda is also modet, to admit, we admit that it's only God. Okay. But then there's another aspect to Yehuda, and that's taking responsibility. Not running away. Not running away. And so again, to make it very, very personal, there are these two sides to ourselves. There's the Yosef's side to ourself, that side which is broken and is falling, but trying to get it right. 
And then there's this other aspect of ourselves, the Yosef side. Remember, because our souls come from God. And so there's an aspect to the perfection of the soul. And so when we confront our own imperfections, when the Yehuda aspect of us confronts the Yosef aspect of us, the instinct for most of us is to run away. And here the Parsha begins with the fixing of everything with Vayigash. And the Yehuda side came close to the Yosef side. You see, do you understand what it is? I'm, I'm still trying to communicate my, my, my point, but, but let's try to get a step closer. If you look in the Haftorah, the prophet Yechezko, Ezekiel, says something really, really interesting. He, God tells Yechezko, he says, on one plank of wood, write the word Yehuda. On a separate plank of wood, write the word Yosef. Two separate entities, right? This is the compartmentalization of our personalities, right? This is the side that, right, the, my public face. This is my private face, right? And the two are not connected. And so God says to Yechezkel, now take these two boards, with Yosef on one separate plank and Yehuda on another separate plank and bring them close to you and you'll see that those two planks are miraculously going to join together. And that's what happens. So this is what God asks of us. God asks of us to put these two sides of ourselves together. This Yehuda side and this Yosef side and as you can see from Yechezkel, if you bring them close to yourself, they'll join together and they'll become one. And of course, that represents all of the Jewish people, the whole world becoming one. And the healing taking place in that way. You see, God is perfect. Perfection already exists. You don't have to be perfect. You have to be the best version of you. There's already a God. There's already a God. He knows who you are. He just wants you to be the best version of you. And in order to do that, a person can't stop running away from all the difficult places in their life and all the difficult decisions in their life. They've got to stop running. It's got to be this aspect of Vayigash, of coming close, of the Yehuda aspect connecting with the Yosef aspect. It has to be. There's no other way. So let me formulate it another way. The letter Aleph we often look at. So Aleph is a Yud on top, and then there's a Vav, and there's a Yud on the bottom. So Yehuda approaching Yosef. Yehuda begins with the letter Yud. Yosef begins with the letter Yud. When these two aspects come together, Yud Yud spells the name of God. And what Parsha is it? Vayigash begins with the letter Vav. The Vav is connecting the two Yuds. In other words, this letter Aleph, which is one, which is also two Yuds and a Vav, which is 26, which connects and correlates with the Yud K Vav K, which is also 26. So this, this bit of imagery, 
is the idea of our lower self. That lower yud is us in our brokenness. That's Yehuda. Trying to rise up. Approaching that vava vayigash. Approaching our higher self. And when we can do that, when we can unite those things, when we can take those challenged aspects of ourselves and make that connection and bridge it to the higher aspects of ourselves, what are we doing? We're making this awesome Aleph. We're connecting the two Yuds. We're spelling out the name of God. Because God wants us to be the best that we can be. And that for us is the definition of perfection. That for us is the definition of perfection. Because the only true perfection belongs to God Himself. Remember, King Solomon says, there is no person in the world that doesn't sin. There is no person who doesn't make a mistake. That's Shlomo Melech's words. Those aren't my words. So how do you do it, right? How do you do it? So... The first thing is that we have to have, like, realistic expectations. And my father once said to me something that always stayed with me, which is, he said, a little of something is better than a truckload of nothing. <laughs> a little of something is better than a truckload of nothing. And so, a lot of times in our minds, we imagine this massive goal and it's all or nothing. Either we have that or we, or, or we don't have it. And I'm striving for that. And along the way, we have opportunities to actually have something concrete along the way. But we go, no, it's not that huge, giant thing. And so that's what I'm going for. So, so that's it. But meanwhile, those small actions, whatever it is, we're actually over time acquiring something quite great. And we have to allow ourselves. You know, there's a, a, another phrase, which is, um, what is it, great is the enemy of good? Is that, is that how it goes? <coughs> Meaning to say that sometimes, sometimes the Yetzirah come. Well, I'll tell you one of my favorite Hasidic stories. And this uh, illustrates the point quite well. So, there was a Rebbe. And one of his Hasidim comes to him with a tzedakah emergency and says, Rebbe, this is absolutely, we, we got it, we got to get it together. Come on, this is very, very important. And the Rebbe heard the, the, the situation and agreed that it was an emergency. And he says, you know, where are we going to get the money? And he goes, ah, he says, I have a bolt of fine cloth, super good material. He says, we can sell that. And we can get some cash, and we'll give that cash to the person who needs it. And then the Rebbe gets an even better idea. He goes, wait a second. You know something? That material is so good, I can make a wedding dress out of it, and the wedding dress will be worth more than the entire bolt of cloth. And we can get even more money. And everyone got very excited. They said, that's a fantastic idea. And then the Rebbe paused, and he took the bolt of cloth as it was, and he sold it. He said, go sell this cloth right now. And the Hasidim said, wait a second, Rebbe, you had such a good idea. You were going to take that bolt of cloth, turn it into a wedding dress, and get even more money. Why do you just want to sell it the, like it is right now? And he says, you're right, it was a better idea. You're right. But 
I realized that I was actually never going to make the wedding dress. <laughs> and so what we were going to have in the end was absolutely no money for this poor person who needed it. So this is a fascinating uh, uh, diagnosis or, or, or analysis of how, how the Yetzirah works, how the evil inclination works. Because you could say that what the, what the Yetzirah does is, it just gives us bad ideas. Right? But here you see, this was actually a very good idea. But sometimes it gives us ideas that we can't implement sometimes. That we don't have the vessels in order to do. And we get seduced by the Yetzirah because it sounds so good and it makes so much sense. But the question is, do you have the ability to do it right now? Or is this just another wonderfully inspired in this instance procrastination technique? So this is the this is this is the challenge. So so the greatness of this Rebbe was that he knew himself and he knew his own limitations and he was very honest with himself. Because that takes a great deal of honesty to tell everybody, here's a great idea. Everyone agrees it's a great idea. And then to publicly announce, you know what? I don't have the wherewithal to do this great idea. That takes a lot of honesty and a lot of humility. Right? And so we have to apply that to ourselves. We have to apply. And, 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 and again, the principle being a little of something is better than a truckload of nothing. That's the, that's the idea here. So... So what happens is, is that a dissonance kicks in to our, to our psyche. And it keeps the Yehuda aspect from coming close to the Yosef aspect. Because the Yehuda aspect thinks, oh, I can do this, I can do that, and, and, and I'm not going to show up to the other side of myself. Until I get this part right. And so a person stays divided and broken and compartmentalized through their life. Instead of saying, this is me. And now that's the reality and now I'm going to work from here. You know, I was thinking about a guy who, uh, a lovely guy really. But, but, you know, there are all sorts of traps in terms of becoming more observant. You know, it's, it's a very, it's like a traveling through a minefield if you, if you want to become observant, if you don't start off that way. I've been through it myself, continue to go through it, and so I speak from experience when I say this. And I'll tell you one of the traps. I knew a guy who, if you, this was many, many years ago. I haven't seen him in a lot of years. And like I say, a wonderful guy, and I wish him well, but I don't know where he is. Anyway, this guy, if you saw him on the street, he's a big, strong guy, and he had a beard, a thick, long beard, probably down to his belly button. And he wore like a, 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 like a, a long coat, you know, like a black kind of coat. And you would think that this guy was born and raised in Meisharim, or, or, in, or in Crown Heights, more likely, you know. Because it was a real strong Chabad look that he had going. And the guy had been from for about two weeks. 
And he hardly knew olive base. Really. I'm not making fun. I'm just telling you what the reality was. He, it just happened to be that he had that beard going into it. And, but it was really, you couldn't get more of it. That was, that was a glatt kosher Jewish beard. I mean, there was nothing more Jewish looking than that beard, you know? And, and so what happened was, though, one of the, so what was, so what's the problem? There's no problem, really. But, but the thing was, is that everyone who looked at him assumed that he knew quite a bit. Because, I mean, he really, he looked like a rabbi. He absolutely did. And he didn't know anything. And so, so again, no problems here. There's, there's no problems here. Except for the fact that human beings being human beings, after a certain point, it becomes increasingly uncomfortable for you to say, I know absolutely nothing. So you allow other people to assume that you actually do know something. And now all of a sudden you're living a lie. Now all of a sudden you're masquerading as like someone who's on a spiritual level that you're simply not on. And then that creates all sorts of dissonance and all sorts of imbalance. And as far as I know, he's no longer in the Torah community and hasn't been for quite a while. Because it just, it, 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 it doesn't work like that. A person has to be real. And they have to accept their limitations. And they have to build one step at a time. And if some... If something comes and knocks down the structure, then a person like Yehuda, the righteous person, has to rise up again. And then you begin rebuilding again. And you begin rebuilding again. But the reality is, is that that foundation now is a real foundation. And every single thing that the person is doing at that point is rock solid. It's in their bones. It's part of them. From the time that I realized that I really wanted to, that, that Torah was my life, basically. From the time I realized that to the time I started keeping Shabbos was ten years. A ten-year period. Ten years. It's a long time. It's a long time. From the time I was 14, essentially, to the time I was 24. So... So we have to be real with ourselves. But we can't afford not to be. You know, this is why the path of Kutsk, to me, has always been the most exciting and, uh, and the most real. Because Kutsk is about, before you do something, asking yourself, why am I doing this? And before you say something, asking yourself, why am I saying this? Is it so that I should look better in this person's eyes? Am I running after COVID right now? Am I running after honor right now? Who am I doing this for? Am I doing it for this person or am I doing it for God? And this is like the great leveler this type of approach to going through life if you can do it it's it's very exacting and 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 a person has to be very careful even within this path because this path can also destroy you it can just reduce you to nothingness in in, in not the positive form of that term so even this path of cusk has to be tempered tempered rather 
with, uh, maybe tempered is the right word, but tempered with, uh, with, I would say, really the path of Reb Shlomo, you know, which is love and acceptance, you know, because if, and you got to know, you got to be a great doctor, you know, you got to know which medicine to prescribe to yourself every single moment. One thing I'll never forget is after my dad became a widow, meaning to say after my mom left this world, someone asked him, how are you doing? And he said, well, I'm a psychologist, so I know the right things to tell myself. He was a psychologist. But you know, we all have to be psychologists, meaning to say we all have to know what to tell ourselves at each moment to keep ourselves going to the next moment. You know, it says, don't run after honor. But you know something? If you need a little honor, and a little honor is going to get you going, keep you going, run after honor at that moment. You know, because at that point, it's not running after honor. It's called keeping yourself alive. That's pukuach nefesh. That's keeping yourself alive. You know? If you're on a diet, and you just can't eat anymore, but you're at your end, Prescribe yourself a cookie, because <laughs> you might need a cookie at that moment to keep going. You know, it's, you have to know, you have to know what to tell yourself and when to tell yourself. And really, you know, everyone needs a best friend, but you also have to be your own best friend. You have to be your own best friend too. Loving, accepting, at the same time, saying, enough is enough. If I'm not going to do it now, when am I going to do it? Okay, we'll stop here.